We are in Hebrews chapter 7 today, the great mystery character of the Bible, Melchizedek. Good morning, Fran. You will never walk alone if you're walking with Jesus. That is so true. So, right, here we go then. So, um, the writer to the Hebrews, who is also a mystery figure, (laughs) which is quite fun, isn't it? Two mystery figures today, the writer to the Hebrews. We don't know who he or she was, um, but we know it's an amazing book and also completely inspired and absolutely important to Christian theology, but also... Um, Melchizedek, this mystery figure who pops up in the Old Testament in the story of Abraham. And Abraham has just been to war to um, conquer some kings who had taken, interestingly, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their people captive. But the concern for Abraham was his nephew Lot and his family who had been living in Sodom And although Sodom was going to be a city that God ultimately judged, Abraham has got this private militia of 300 men and he goes up against this colossal army of kings from the region who've come against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the the cities in the plain and he conquers them and he wins this incredible victory which obviously God is helping and uh, he, on the way back, he's confronted by this guy who we're not really given much detail about, except he's called the King of Salem, which means the King of Peace, and his name is Melchizedek. And Abraham, um, he's called the Priest of God Most High, which is such a great kind of... That's, that's all we get, really. And Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils. So he literally takes 10% off the top of everything he's taken, he's retrieved from this war. Good morning, Harry and um, Pete and Nathan. All you guys, great to see you. He gives him basically this slice of pie off the top of all these spoils. He gives him this golden treasure, 10%. I'm sure it wasn't weighed out accurately. I'm sure it was like, ah, it's roughly 10%. Ah, yeah, a bit more. Chuck those in as well. I'm sure it was just like, go on, have it. And God's given me this victory. Here I am. And he gives 10%. And that's the first, um, as far as I'm aware, the first reference to tithing in the Bible where Abraham the father of all who believe, Um, the father of faith really, isn't he? The great kind of major patriarch of the Bible. He gives 10% of all of his spoils to this priest and so sets up this precedent which is there forever. I'm just going to move this forward because we get a slightly better sound. Righty, let's go. So verse verse 1 then, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That's the point I missed out. He blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. So Melchizedek comes from two, two Hebrew words. Melech, which is king, and Zedek, which is righteousness. So his name is translated um, king of righteousness. So the writer to the Hebrews is giving us a little bit of help here to understand a bit about this guy. 
Then he's also king of Salem, that is king of peace. So we kind of think Salem is where Jerusalem was. I, uh, that's what, I, that's what I'm, I've been led to believe. I may be wrong on that. So any theologians you want to correct me on that. Um, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, n- having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. This is incredible. So the Jews were fastidious and still are about genealogies because they're very concerned with their own identity as being proper Hebrews, proper Jews descended from Abraham. But they also want to marry their children within the the nation, so within the ethnos, eth- ethnicity of Hebrew Jewish people so there's that but there's also this very important um strain of the you know there's this very important um tribe of levi which is the priesthood and levitical um tribe and there to serve in matters relating to god and so it's kind of very important and they they have also each tribe had specific promises and in inheritances from god prophesied over them all of these are really important and this is a huge sense of i'm a jew is a huge identity thing it's so important and particularly for all those years where the jewish people didn't have a homeland to be able to be definitely um clearly known known to be jewish and to be able to identify themselves as jewish authoritatively was really important and so anyway, this guy, Melchizedek, didn't have any of that. So this is a bit of an issue. But here he is rocking up right before there was any Old Testament priesthood. He is described by the by the Old Testament writer, who was Moses, obviously, at this time, um, as a priest of God Most High. And so here he is, but we've got no way of tracing his provenance. We don't know where he really is from. And and so there's this sense throughout Scripture kind of that, that Melchizedek really didn't have a beginning or an end. He just kind of appears in history as a as a kind of big word now prefiguring a a pre before Jesus is incarnate on the earth before the son of god is born as jesus of nazareth in and late you know we know the nativity story many many hundreds of years before that we have this guy showing up who in so many ways kind of has jesus like qualities and attributes and characteristics that make us think of jesus but there are many others throughout the old testament who also are by theologians call them types but Melchizedek appears to be more of a theophany where God himself appears in human form. So, there you go. So you've got two kinds of um, prefigurings of Jesus. One is like types, which would be people like Abraham, Moses, um, Daniel, all these guys, Joseph. They're all prefigurings. They're, so there are types of Jesus. There are aspects of their lives that speak powerfully prophetically about jesus david solomon all these guys 
But there's also these odd occurrences, which is where God seems to appear in human form. And we call those, or theologians call them, theophanies. I don't go around talking about theophanies every day, but today's a special day for talking about theophanies. Good morning, James. But somehow he resembles the son of God resembling the son of god he continues a priest forever and so the writer to the hebrews is saying this melchizedek guy actually he's a priest from from no beginning and no end so he's like this kind of on a continuum of priesthoodness and so right verse four see how great this man was so this guy who appears mysteriously is actually a very very great man so the writer of the Hebrews is giving him full honour and full full kind of military honours, if you like. Good morning, Rosemary. So see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. So Abraham, this monumental Old Testament character, is given a tenth of all his spoils to this guy. So he's saying how much greater is he than Abraham. He's a great guy. This is not just some kind of bit part, kind of walk on extra to the big narrative of of the Old Testament. This is somebody who's really significant. And those descendants of Levi, this is fascinating, who receive the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers. Though these men, so these also are descended from Abraham. So he's saying here, the priests, the Levites, you're very aware of in your society, they receive a tithe. And by the time the letter to the Hebrews is written, this is going strong. This is not even in question. Everybody knows that the priesthood and the Levites are supported by everyone in the community who is not a priest or a Levite, bringing 10% of their income, their, their kind of uh yeah 10 percent of their increase every year and presenting it to god and the levites and the priests live off of it so they all knew that but now he's saying actually the descendants of levi who receive this are also descended from abraham they're somehow in the loins of abraham they're sort of like in him genetically because he's like three generations away from Levi, isn't he? I think, if my maths is correct. So Abraham has um, Isaac, his son. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has Levi. So I think that's three generations. Anyway, might be four. <laughs> but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Abraham had the promises Melchizedek receives the tithe and gives Abraham a blessing. So this is really interesting and it's a really important bit of the story of Abraham's life. Verse 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. So what he's saying is normally... The, well, the, the natural order, the obvious order is that the one who is greater blesses the one who is inferior. And so if Melchizedek is able to meaningfully bless Abraham, then he must be somehow significantly greater than Abraham to be able to impart this blessing. 
So when we bless each other, we're blessing on behalf of Jesus himself, in the name of Jesus, not in our own name. Um, But so there's no kind of hierarchical thing going on there. But Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, who is therefore much greater than Abraham to be able to make this blessing. But Abraham is the one who is in possession of the promises. Excuse me. So God has made these promises. One second. To Abraham. And now Melchizedek is adding that with a blessing from a priest. Um, But then he's saying that actually the tithes given by Abraham and therefore on behalf of his great-great-grand-great-grandson Levi and the Levitical priesthood um, are actually being given to one who is still alive. So that can surely be only understood to be Jesus. But is Melchizedek Jesus? Well, it seems that the writer to the Hebrews wants us to think that he's kind of somehow connected anyway let's let's read on so in the case in the one case tithes are received by mortal men but in the other case by one of whom it is testified that he lives and it's really important that we understand that when we give our tithes and offerings to god to um the church we present them to the church don't we to the leaders of the church and it supports those who serve in the church and helps the ministry to happen, which is really, really important. On a human level, we're actually giving our tithes to God. We're giving our tithes to the one who lives. So Jesus really is receiving the tithes, even though it might on paper look like it's going to people to benefit, you know, kind of pastors or people who serve in the church. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So there you go. So we got this sense that there's this this kind of vicarious tithe giving from Levi via his great, 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 however many greats it is, grandfather, um, Abraham. This is amazing. So even the priests give tithes because they do it via this way anyway let's let's move on this is interesting and complicated and wonderful and mysterious all at once and we could go round in circles with it so verse 11 now here's the point if perfection had been attainable through the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? So if everything was absolutely peachy and wonderful within the old Levitical priesthood, why should we need another priesthood like Melchizedek, after the order of Melchizedek? Right, so so there's, so there's what the, what the writer here is doing is setting us up for a quantum leap of theology for the Hebrew people that was going to be it was going to be such so some of the things he's going to say coming up right now are really provocative and would have been oh kind of a bit oh hard 
for the Jew Jewish Hebrew hearers to comprehend and hear because their hearts were so set on a certain kind of set of tram lines from the law that they'd inherited from generation to generation. They're now going to be jumped right off of those tracks onto a different set of tracks, which is going to be really interesting. So let's see where it goes. So he's, he's basically saying, if everything was fine with the Levitical law, why do we suddenly need a new priest like Melchizedek was, who was before all of that? So verse 12, when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So this isn't just going to happen spontaneously. This isn't going to happen because some human being has decided it. This is going to have to happen as God sanctioning it and giving a new law because the, the whole priesthood thing was enshrined in law that God had given to Moses. Good morning, Edmire. Good morning, Joan. Um, so verse 13, for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. So this Jesus coming on the scene after the order of Melchizedek is not somebody from the Levitical priesthood heritage. He's not, he's not got any connection with that. He's from another tribe completely. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. Now we do have two genealogies, don't we, in the New Testament that take Jesus's um, trace Jesus's human lineage back to Judah and that he was there in verse verse 14 for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests so this is what the writer here is doing is saying this is an entirely different order now when he uses the word order the word their greek word is taxis which we get if you know anything about biology we get the word taxonomy from that and it's to do with ordering things in a proper kind of way and so it um the, the it's 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 very interesting that every animal plant and species on the earth is ordered in a category which is the stud the science of which is called taxonomy and so this is what he's saying is there's a there's no order of priesthood there's nothing in the jew in the tribe of judah verse 15 this becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, i.e. your ancestry, but by the power of an indestructible life. Isn't that amazing? So somehow the qualification to be in Melchizedek's priesthood type of genre or order is to have an indestructible life. So <laughs> what are we saying? That Melchizedek has an indestructible life? I think the most important point that we should take from this is that Jesus has the indestructible life. There is kind of mystery and ambiguity about Melchizedek, the nature of Melchizedek's life, whether he's, he is somehow eternal or whether he is Jesus popping up in the Old Testament just to say hi and to get everyone excited to whet our appetites, which I kind of... And more of that persuasion myself. 
But the, the qualification of Jesus is that he, he has an indestructible life. He gave his life, but he rose again on the third day. Death couldn't hold him. He was, he was irrepressible. Even though he physically died, he was alive again. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised on the third day and lives forever. We're going to get to that in a second. So Jesus is qualified because he lives forever. He's got an indestructible life. In fact, he is life. This life was the this this light was the life of men or light light. Oh my goodness, this life was the light of men. Jesus, he, yeah. Anyway, John chapter one, read it. It's great. It talks all about Jesus. <laughs> oh my, this is profound. Verse seventeen. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order, taxis, of Melchizedek. So this is a new order of priesthood. We are jumping off the tracks of the Levitical priesthood and we are on back onto Melchizedek's tracks. Wow, amazing. Verse 18. For on the one hand... Gosh, I'm going to have to crack on. A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Can you imagine hearing that as a Jew? The law is weak and useless. This is not what they, <laughs> this is not very respectful. But then the writer quickly pops in parentheses in brackets. For the law made nothing perfect. He's saying actually, you know, the law is, has weakness, is weak and useless. Because it made nothing perfect. And actually, that's the whole point of the law. The law doesn't make anything perfect. What it does is identifies sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that what the law was powerless to do, the law was powerless to reform my character. It was powerless to change my heart. What it did was showed me how far off from God's ideal I was and identified my sin and pointed a finger squarely at me as an indictment and said you need somebody to pay for your sin Paul because you're never going to pay for it yourself and so the whole old testament with all its law with all the sorry with all the ceremonial law and sacrificial law and everything else was pointing to the fact that you and I would need somebody to pay for our sins because we were never going to get it right just by trying to adhere to the law so the law made nothing perfect. This is really important for anyone who wants to be justified by keeping the law, by trying to do it all right, you will fail. In fact, you failed already. If you started today, you failed before. So you, that you've got all that to deal with. And then if you started today to keep the law flawlessly, probably by lunchtime, you'd be thinking, pants, I've failed again. I've... Ah! God, you know, and so, so on. Because the law says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife. So when you're checking her out, you're coveting your neighbour's wife. And it's like you've, there you go. So hopefully we can see that we can't, the, even with our best intention to keep the law, we're going to fail. But on the other hand, a better hope, he says, is introduced 
through which we draw near to God. And so we were talking, didn't we, about the um, previous chapters about the great high priest who who is able to deal gently with those who are wayward and foolish and, you know, and draw us back in and how we can approach the throne of God with boldness because we have this great high priest who is there on our behalf. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and useless. Oh, sorry, I've done that one. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such with, without an oath. They were kind of following on from the pattern that was there. So there wasn't necessarily an oath every time. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So he keeps going back to this same verse, doesn't he? In Psalm 110, he keeps going back to this prophecy. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I've sworn by myself, God say, we talked about that yesterday, God can't change his mind. So really everything he says is completely reliable and true. But here he's saying, by myself, I've sworn that, you know, you are a priest forever. And so he's underlining this. And what what's happening here is he's making a new law, making a new oath, making a new promise that this priest is coming. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant we could talk about better this is the best covenant this is you know like bringing out the best china we had the old beat up china out and now the guests have come and we brought out the best china you probably don't do that anymore. that's an old-fashioned thing to do anyway so jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant the best covenant verse 23 the former priests were in were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office so all the priests formally died verse 24 but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever so jesus will never relinquish his priesthood he will never have to step down from high priestness he from his high priestly role he will always be the high priest now because he lives forever he is perfect in this role He's perfectly um, fulfilled the will of God and now he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he's he's not able to start, he doesn't start something and then have to give up because he's been replaced. It's not like when you have a chairman of a company and you hear on the news that they've been replaced because of something and they've got somebody else in the role who used to be blah, blah, blah. And now they're going to, and a lot of the things that the former person was doing may change maybe even dropped altogether when you get a new prime minister or a new president some of the initiatives from before get dropped altogether jesus is not like that he's in this role forever good morning aaron jesus is in this role forever and he always 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 lives to make intercession for you and me that means he's the one in the presence of god the father among the holy angels campaigning cheering us on 
representing us to God, saying, look at my son, look at my daughter. Aren't they doing great? Let's give them a big applause. Let's cheer them on today. Let's send someone to help them today. Let's, oh, let's just give them some cash today. Let's bless them because yeah, we just want to cheer them on. And, and so there he is, Jesus, interceding for us continuously, and he will never stop. We will get to be with him before he stops because he's never going to stop. You know what I'm saying? Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Wow. This is Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens and yet somehow connected intimately with us because he partook of flesh and blood. We've been set up with this understanding of the humanity of Jesus in the earlier chapters. And if you've missed them, you can find them on my podcast. Please do listen because it's so good stuff. Read the scripture. Listen to what I'm saying. Develop your own relationship with this incredible book. Um, so he, there he is, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So he offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the people. So he doesn't have to keep doing it day after day after day. So all of that rigmarole of the Old Testament sacrifices day after day after day, that is all that all stops. That's why the sacrifices in the temple have stopped. There is no further need for sacrifices in the temple. To be honest, any initiative to restart sacrifices in the temple is blasphemy. It is a it is a crime against Jesus. There is no need to sacrifice lambs and goats and bulls anymore because the spotless lamb, the priceless, perfect lamb of God has paid once and for all. This job is done. And so verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So this is taking us right back to chapter one of Hebrews. In times past, God spoke to us in many ways through his servants, the prophets. But now he's spoken to us by means of a son or through a son or by his son. And and he talks about him being so much greater than the prophets, even Moses. And now we realize that this old priesthood, which served a purpose, let's not be dismissive of it it served a really important purpose in identifying sin and keeping people conscious of God that priesthood which couldn't make anyone perfect has been replaced by a son who has been made perfect forever remember Jesus had never sinned he didn't become perfect because he suddenly stopped sinning he became perfected as a human being because he learned obedience through what he suffered I'm going to have to stop there. We could talk all day about this incredible, rich vein of scripture. May Jesus be with you today and walk with you and just catch his heart. He's there right now, standing before the throne of God, interceding, representing you and me. How incredible is that? 
Have an amazing day, you guys. God bless you. And if you've enjoyed this saunter, please do like it and share it and pass it on. Share the love. And it's all good.